0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Northwestern Community College. Join them for two weeks digging up dinosaur bones from the Jurassic period in Northwest Colorado this summer. For details, go to cncc.edu slash BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett. And I'm Sabrina. And today in our 359th episode, we have a bunch of news, including a new troodontid.
1: Nice. So many new dinosaurs coming out lately.
0: There are. We'll have another one next week. And you also have a review of a TV show that I didn't watch.
1: You watched one episode with me. Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs.
0: Yeah. I'm not a big Hanna-Barbera guy, Mm. but you can tell me what you thought of it. (laughs) We also have an interview with Dave and Izzy from the Terrible Lizards podcast, and we have Dinosaur of the Day, Colopiocephaly. But before we get into all that, first we want to thank some of our patrons, and this week we want to thank Ben at Jurassic Site B, Robert, Brad Shelby, Veraciraptor, Kalosaurus Rex, Lucas and Eli, Misunderstood Overaptor, DC Cassandra, Mycoraptor. And Polycanthus.
1: Such good names. Thank you everybody for your support and for being a part of our dinosaur enthusiast community. If you want to join our community and you know chat with everybody on our Discord and get other perks, like extended interviews, then head over to our page at patreon.com inodino.
0: So jumping into the news, we've got our new troodontid as a really interesting sounding troodontid from Inner Mongolia. It was published in Cretaceous Research, Well, technically it's still in press, and written by Rui Pei and others, and they're describing what they refer to as a short-snouted troodontid.
1: Oh, because troodontids usually have long snouts?
0: Yeah, they do, and I didn't even realize there were any other short-snouted troodontids. Apparently there are a couple in like the J-hole biota or somewhere, you know, like in a different fauna, not in Inner Mongolia. Mm Mm-hmm. And then there's one other short-snouted troodontid that was found in the Gobi Basin. So it is still really uncommon, but, you know, it's not completely unheard of. Because, yeah, I always think of them as, as having those long, slender snouts. Mm-hmm. And there's another thing that makes it unusually non-troodontidy, but I'll get to that in a minute. So Intrigue. <laughs> yeah. So the other one, and the one that is most similar to that was found in the Gobi Desert, is almas. And Almas was found around the flaming cliffs in Mongolia, whereas this was found in the Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region. So they're a fair distance apart and across a man made boundary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Back in the day, you know, it wasn't that much distance. Almas is named after the wild man or snowman of Mongolian mythology, too, which oh. is such a cool name. We covered it a little while ago, I think.
1: Yeah, but I forgot about the meaning.
0: Yeah, I like it a lot. The new dinosaur is named papilio venator nemunguensis and papilio venator is named after a feature of the first back vertebra it has what they refer to as a butterfly shaped neural arch
1: that sounds pretty
0: yeah so i mean it's sort of like you know butterfly
1: the wings yeah exactly yeah
0: Yeah. that's the most interesting unique feature i think of papilio venator The rest of its unique features are basically minor details of the skull, at least most of them. But then it has a couple things that aren't 100% unique, like the shorter snout and some other stuff, but those are all shared by at least a couple other troodontids. So if you're looking for the one thing you can define it by, it's that butterfly-shaped neural arch and a couple other little details in the skull. And namanguensis is named after namangu, which is the Chinese name for Inner Mongolia. Hmm. So it's just a place name species, not a place name genus and species.
1: So pretty good. (laughs) So mix it up a little bit.
0: Yeah. It's actually a little bit surprising that there hasn't been a Namunguensis so far, if anybody was thinking about that, because the Gobi Basin is really the place to be if you're looking for a new troodontid. Between the Nemect and jadokta formations there are at least nine species which is a lot that is a lot it includes among those nine my new favorite troodontid name which is zanabazar
1: oh that is a good one
0: it's a really fun one to say it's a buddhist name that one Mm -hmm. but back to Papilio venadar so Poppelio venator at least the holotype, includes a nearly complete skull. It's basically just missing the very tip of the snout and a couple of little bits and pieces.
1: Oh, that's a good find.
0: Yeah. And it also includes a semi-articulated body. And I feel like that doesn't give it justice because it's a really nice post-cranial skeleton. It's got most of the neck vertebrae. It's got the beginning of the back vertebrae. It's got part of the scapula and coracoid or parts of the shoulder. It's got a fragmentary pelvic girdle as they describe it. I have no idea which bones that is because it's not described. It's only listed as like this is in the holotype and it's never mentioned again. Mm-hmm. And they say, quote, fragmentary limb bones, including partial humeri, left ulna, left radius, partial manis, left femur, left tibia, left fibula, left pes, and a right pedal phalanx.
1: That's a lot.
0: Yeah. So it's just like you just describe that as fragmentary limb bones and then it's like Almost all of the bones in the limbs, including hands and feet and everything.
1: Some more fragmented than others, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. So the skull bones are really the main event, I think. We have a lot of skull bones from other troodontids to compare them to, and then troodon is named after a tooth. So it makes sense that the skull is the main focus of it. There's also quite a bit of variability between troodontids in their skulls and their teeth. So it's a good place to go to compare things. The skull bones are really small and fragile, so it's still in a fair amount of matrix. There's a lot of dirt still embedded around it to keep it all together. And they didn't do a CT scan, so I'm not sure if they know about all of the little details that might be hiding away in the rock that might be coming in another paper. But even within the rock, you can see a ton of detail. The skull reminds me a lot of a bird, but without the beak, obviously, Mm because it's got teeth. The geometry of it, I would describe as pleasing. It's roughly like a 30, <laughs> 60, 90 triangle. Do you remember those? Yeah. It's a very special right triangle. It's So I don't know. It, it, the proportions of it are really nice. It has like a flat, sloping nasal, presumably to a very pointy snout. So it's just like the proportions of Papilio Venator. It's nice. It's a nice looking animal. So I think.
1: even though it's a short snout, it's still a pointy snout.
0: Yes. And it's, just, it's like short compared to other troodontids. So basically, you know, with like Spinosaurus, how is that really long, skinny snout? Mm-hmm. In an analogy where a normal troodon is like Spinosaurus, then this one is more like maybe a Deinonychus or something. It's just like a, just a little bit broader, but it's it still comes to a point, which is why it's kind of bird-like because, you know, birds come to a point obviously with their beak but this one doesn't have a beak it's just like a very tapered it tapers down evenly as you get to the front. In total the skull is 11 centimeters long but it might be missing about a centimeter of premaxilla and a bit of maxilla at the very end of the snout. It's already pretty pointy even without that but if you add that then you can imagine it being very pointy. (laughs) So they estimate in total the skull was about Twelve centimeters are four and three quarter inches long, which is obviously not that big. That's like roughly palm of the hand size, I would say, for the full skull. Hmm.
1: Maybe your palm hand size.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it depends on the size of your palm. Definitely in your hand. You might need some fingers mm-hmm. to also hold it. And it was relatively short for a troodontid. A Xanabazar, for example, was about twenty-eight centimeters or more than twice as long as Papilio venator. I just wanted to say Xanobazar again.
1: <laughs> How many times can you fit that name into this? I,
0: I think that's the last time, unfortunately. So Papilio venator includes 13 teeth in the holotype out of an estimated 40 tooth sockets, which is still pretty good. You know, there's a lot of detail you can get from that. Based on those tooth sockets, it had a similar number of teeth to other troodontids, but Papilio venator has relatively small teeth for a dromaeosaurid, They're only about two millimeters long.
1: Oh, that is small.
0: Yeah, that's an estimate from the picture. I tried to like match it with the scale bar, but that's about what it looks like, which is that's a tiny tooth. That's just the crown too sticking out. So if you add the root, you know, maybe it gets up to almost a full centimeter. I don't know. Mm. (laughs) but Yeah, it's a tiny tooth and they are still curved. You can tell and knife like meaning they're laterally compressed. They're not big bulky teeth like you get on a T-Rex or something. And they're also unserated, which is really another super weird. This is the other really weird thing about it, because even though unserated teeth are found on a few other troodontids, troodon means wounding tooth, and that's based on its large serrations on the holotype troodon teeth. So it's like these are not, they're tiny unserated teeth. I think wounding tooth based on a little two millimeter <laughs> unserated tooth is pretty funny.
1: It wounded the small prey.
0: Yeah. I guess so. Maybe like an insect or something. Yeah. Some of the other bones are also articulated in small groups because the skull bones are obviously very articulated. The neck, partial back, and partial shoulder blades are all in one group. So you can see how the neck was articulated. There's also the radius and ulna, which were preserved together, you know, like the forearm, although they're not fully complete. There's missing little bits here and there. There's also a partial foot with a toe and its claw, all articulated together. And luckily, it's the second toe, which is the big curved claw in raptors. So oh, the fun one. Yeah. The, if you had to pick one, that's the one you'd pick. At least that's the one they have in the picture. Maybe they had other ones as well. The claw is only about 13 millimeters or half an inch long, which again doesn't seem particularly big. But of course, this is without a claw sheath, the keratin sheath, which mm-hmm. probably would have covered it when it was alive. And so it could have been a full inch long. I would say, while it was alive, which is really weird because for a dinosaur, again, named after its wounding teeth, it's got an inch-long claw and a (laughs) two-millimeter tooth. (laughs) Seems like the teeth are not really the name of the game with this dinosaur.
1: Well, you said they found 13 teeth and 40 tooth sockets, so maybe... We're missing some of the bigger, sharper teeth.
0: Maybe. I mean, I think like seven or eight of them are on one side. I think it's seven on one side, six on the other side. And it's a decent part of the maxilla. Mm. So it's in the sort of region where you, it's not just like the pre tiny teeth. Mm-hmm. It's in along most of the maxilla. So you'd expect to see a big tooth here or there if it had them. And based on the depth of those tooth sockets too, they could probably tell that it didn't have huge teeth. It's pretty thin bones there.
1: Could be a niche partitioning thing, if there's other troodontids in the area.
0: Yeah, that's very true. We're competing with oviraptorids or sotacosaurs or mm-hmm. something.
1: <laughs> so then they go for the tiny prey. Yeah, using their big claws.
0: Exactly. I don't. I can't even imagine what it was hunting. They didn't guess anything about its behavior, unfortunately. Mm. So Poppelio venator was found in a 2018 expedition by the Inner Mongolia Geological Environment Monitoring Group. So it did not take them long to publish it. It's only been three years since they found it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: I think that sandstone is just so easy to work with compared to some of the things that we're used to finding. It was found in the Wulan Suhai Formation, and that's the same as the trodontids Philovenator and Linhavenator, which were both named within the last 10 years. So this is really coming up as a big formation for finding troodontids. Mm-hmm. And that formation was formed in the late Cretaceous, usually estimated around 75 million years ago. So that's about how old papilio venator was. Possibly because it's so small, they did histology on the bone to see if it's a juvenile. Actually, I think they used two of the bones. They used like a tibia and a fibula, if I remember right, under a microscope, the bone looks pretty well developed. There are signs that the medullary cavity is about done expanding. And as well, not within the histology, they notice that the vertebrae are fused as well as some of the skull bones.
1: So it's probably an adult or at least a subadult.
0: Yeah, it seems that way from those details. But then when they looked at it microscopically, it was a little bit different because they did find two lags in the fibula. They couldn't find any in the other histological sample. But I should note, there is a large, hollow center to the bone, so it might have been over two years old. We can't say for sure. But there wasn't an EFS to show that it was done growing, where those lags pile up closely at the edge. Mm -hmm. So basically, the way they summarized it was, it's still growing, but its growth rate seems to have slowed down. And they called it a subadult, but near its full size. Obviously, one of the ways you could explain it, having weirdly small teeth or something Mm -hmm. for its size, like...
1: Maybe its teeth weren't done growing.
0: Yeah. Well, because, yeah, there are different generations of teeth and sometimes the babies have weird teeth and all sorts of stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Also, the fact that its head is like basically rounder and stouter, you know, that's like a pedomorphic trait, you know, like how baby humans are. We have like rounder heads when we're little and then they (laughs) change shape as we get bigger. But that doesn't seem to be the case with venator. Phylogenetically... They could actually do a good analysis for once. I'm so used to all these papers where it's like, well, we have a couple of vertebrae from this thing, and we got a you know back from this and a skull from that. But in the case of these troodontids, most of the individuals have skulls, and many have relatively complete skeletons. Just they get tons of good fossils from mm. this area, and from their analysis, they found that Papiliovenator is the second most basal Late Cretaceous troodontid after Almas, which is a weird. Superlative of second most, blah, blah, blah.
1: Right. But the basal part doesn't surprise me based on its weird features.
0: Yeah. So that's what I was thinking too. And then I, I looked through all the ones that are more basal and less basal. And most of them also have these longer, narrow snouts and serrated teeth. So there's like, there's lots of weird stuff going on in Troodon today that we have not accounted for in the random smattering of fossils we've found so far i feel like these are probably going to get grouped more in the future when we find different ones or they're just like randomly losing and gaining (laughs) serrations on their teeth and you know different features of their snouts that could happen i guess
1: hey the way flight evolved is weird so why not other features (laughs) yeah it's true (laughs)
0: So there's still a pretty long gap. So it being the second most basal is still kind of important because the youngest member of the next most basal troodontid group is about 40 million years older. That is a big gap. And that's Sinornothoides, which is from the early Cretaceous, also from Inner Mongolia. So it's in the same place, but not even remotely close to the same time. Like that's almost, that's two thirds of the gap in time, basically from us to dinosaurs between those two dinosaurs. It's a long, long gap. Cyanorthoides was also very small. It was about a meter long and lighter than a cat. That's just what (laughs) I'm going to say about mass because I don't think we have a great grasp on it. And then Papiliovenator, based on the size of its skull, was probably in the same ballpark. So you could estimate roughly about a meter long and under 10 pounds or under a cat weight. But it's really hard to estimate because the femur is pretty fragmentary and we don't have any of the tail. And the tail can make up about half of the length and use the femur for the weight. So, yeah, it's it's a rough estimate. Mm-hmm. And just in case you want to try to visit it, Papilio venator is housed at the Bayanur Museum of Natural History. Nice. But I kind of doubt it's on display. Could be. Yeah, you never know. I, I literally do never know. Could,
1: <laughs> could be a cast, could be parts of it on display. Yes. You only know
0: when you visit. Yep. Sometimes they put stuff online, but I didn't notice anything. I actually, the only press I saw about this was just that the paper was released. And I think it's because it's from an area where there are a lot of other troodontids and you can't say anything like T-Rex like dinosaur mm-hmm. or anything like that. Because troodontidae is like pretty off on its own. Or it branch. got
1: lost because there were a lot of dinosaurs being announced in the last couple of weeks. That's true. Yeah.
0: People are like another dinosaur, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But speaking of museums to visit, so in Georgia in the U.S., the Fernbank Museum has a new exhibit from now until January 2nd. It's called Antarctic Dinosaurs. I think we might have talked about this exhibit before, but not at the Fernbank Museum. You can see and touch fossils from Antarctica. They've got life-size dinosaur replicas, and they have artifacts from expeditions, including a sledge used in an expedition over 100 years ago. And then they have interactive elements like exploring tectonic plates through puzzles. You do have to buy tickets in advance to so the Fernbank Museum. That's one of those museums. We were nearby it a little before we started this podcast, so we didn't quite make it.
0: Yeah. We <laughs> went to the World of Coke instead, mm-hmm. which was cool, but it doesn't have dinosaurs. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so next time we're in the area.
0: Yeah, we got to make it to that aquarium, too. They got a pretty awesome aquarium in Atlanta.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, Garrett, you ready to hear about
0: Yabba Dabba Dinosaurs? Sure tell me what I missed. (laughs)
1: It's a really short series. It's definitely meant for kids. I kind of thought it might be like one of those nostalgia things and maybe they'll have humor on a couple levels, which they did sometimes. But say for the most part, uh, it's good for kids. I liked that Pebbles and Bam Bam are old enough that, you know, they go on their own adventures. They got their own personality. They made Pebbles like really smart and interested in science and then her and Bam Bam are best friends and they go off to, they call them the crags, where they hang out with different dinosaurs, with often with Dino. But I was a little disappointed and maybe I forgot this about the Flintstones, where they didn't talk about actual dinosaur names that often. It was more the name of whatever the dinosaur was doing.
0: Mm. Yeah, I saw that in the one episode I saw, what was it? They They called one like Pointy or something. Plantosaurus. They could at least call it an herbivore or something. They go with plantosaurus. That's just...
1: Yeah, so that was a little disappointing. But if you're a fan of the Flintstones, it's still pretty entertaining. The episodes are really short. There's only 13 of them, and they're, I think, 11 minutes each. So it goes by very quick.
0: I was surprised at how quick you finished it. I was watching or doing something else while you were watching it, and then you're like, I finished it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I asked you for your first impression, and you were like, it was just a show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there there are scenes with Fred and Wilma and Barney and Betty, so if you're looking for some of those characters, you get them. A little bit of Mr. Slate.
0: I'm not hearing a lot of positives. Well, was there a good thing about it?
1: Oh, I didn't think I was saying too much negative about it. Okay. <laughs> but Yeah, I'd say if you were a fan of the Flintstones, then it's good, and it's got it's a different kind of style of animation.
0: Um, it look kind of like Teen Titans Go or something to me. Like a little bit more anime style.
1: Kind of, yeah, or Samurai Jack or something like that. Just a little bit more modern of a style.
0: If they released another season, would you watch it?
1: Oh, probably. I, mean, I like the Flintstones. And I'm kind of hoping that maybe they do talk about more real dinosaurs. Because I remember in the original, like one of the things they fred talked about sometimes was you know he liked brontosaurus ribs or brontosaurus burgers or something like that so it's mm-hmm. like i feel like they do talk about actual dinosaurs
0: so it got less scientifically accurate over time somehow
1: oh i don't know i'd have to re-watch the flintstones to <sighs> tell you that
0: okay <laughs> i don't feel like i missed much
1: well yeah like i said it's It's good if you like the Flintstones. It's definitely meant for kids, but it's also really short. Oh, you know what? I do think they have a T-Rex in one of the episodes. I can't remember if they specifically called it a T-Rex, but they called it like the king of the crags. So, you know.
0: So on IMDb, it has 4.2 out of 10 stars. Okay. It's not great.
1: Again, but I think it's a kid's show and I don't know how many kids are rating things on IMDb.
0: (laughs) That's true. You can go from July 6th to July 20th or from July 22nd to August
1: 5th. Head over to cncc.edu slash DinoDig. You'll get all of the details. Just make sure that you register online by May 31st. And again, that is cncc.edu slash DinoDig, D I N O D I G. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job?
0: And now we're going to go on to our interview with Dave and Izzy from the Terrible Lizards podcast. But again, a quick reminder, we have an extended version of this because when you get a bunch of dinosaur podcasters together to talk about dinosaurs, we're going to talk for too long. So (laughs) definitely check out the premium content feed if you'd like to hear a longer version of the interview. We're joined now by Izzy Lawrence and Dave Hone from Terrible Lizards podcast. Dave has been on our show quite a few times, I think three times at this point. Mm -hmm. So you probably recognize his name. And and, voice. Yes. And he works on both dinosaurs and pterosaurs. So we have made some rare departures from dinosaurs to talk about pterosaurs in the past. But yeah, that might happen again. We don't know. Anything could happen. But thank you both very much for joining us and sharing your time. Thank you for having us. Thanks very much for
2: having us. We're going to be very English and polite. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Who has tea? Cup of tea, governor.
0: (laughs) So we should mention, too, we around this time, hopefully if we conduct things properly and release them around the same time, you can go over to Terrible Lizards and listen to the other half of this meeting in Terrible Lizards format. So definitely recommend doing that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or, go it back out, in time.
3: or it was out six weeks ago or won't be out for another four months. <laughs> no, Either no. is perfectly possible.
2: <laughs> Basically, you're, you're reliant on Izzy's editing schedule, which is completely erratic. <laughs> Yay!
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't trust her.
0: So that leads me into my first question. Is the way that you guys started Terrible Lizards, that Izzy, you are a podcast maverick, and Dave is a dinosaur, Dave. <laughs> and those powers combined.
2: To be fair, what happened was it was a very very good Christmas party, which is usually what 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 is I, it? Dave, well, I, what?
3: I want to intersect because if, I'll get my revenge in first and point out that we always disagree over the details of this story. <laughs> I was drunk and you that I was sober and she wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> which so is I, partly. I, I believe my recollection to be more accurate.
2: Was it not a good party? (laughs) It was a very good party. It was done by a historian friend of mine who knows a lot of BBC producers, a lot of famous historians, is a very big fan of cricket, and his wife is also a midwife. So it was full – oh, and he loves dinosaurs. So it's full of historians, um, archaeologists, uh, BBC people, midwives, cricketers, and – A couple of paleontologists because he likes dinosaurs too. One of those happens to be Dave. He also has teenage daughters, and I don't know if you know teenagers, but they're very good at mixing drinks in that they hear (laughs) gin and tonic and they fill a glass with half tonic, half gin. (laughs) and Because that makes sense. We already were talking about semi-aquatic on a different podcast. Semi, that's how they (laughs) see the gin and tonic being divided. (laughs) Anyway. I'd had one or two of these before even arriving at these parties. So I was already drunk on arrival because I'd been seeing some friends. And then I walk in and Tom introduces me to this man, Dave. And I say, hello, Dave, blah, blah, blah. And he's just like, did you used to go to Bristol University? (laughs) Yes. How on earth? How on earth did you know that? And he goes, we used to live together. (laughs) Now. This is technically true, but he had the flat upstairs. So completely different universe. Completely different universe, really. But I had been in his bedroom and seen his whip scorpions, and that's true. Yeah, we did, we so, did used
3: to hang out. It's not like, oh, we were in the same building and crossed, like,
2: in the corridor occasionally. We literally like did I used say, to hang out. Quite a lot of gin. <laughs> but obviously she so, hadn't remember me at all. <laughs> no, they, I remembered your whip scorpion. Who they, could forget?
3: No, one of us has more memorable hair than the other, so it's fairly this easy. This is true. I did this see you true. walk in and go, well, well,
2: that's easy isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah casual anyway so so that that is what happened and then we were just, he was chatting and i was saying oh i do loads of other podcasts i do the Zed this dead list i do the british museum member cast and making history for radio for all of this sort of stuff and uh he was like oh i've always thought about doing a podcast about dinosaurs and i was like well pity i'm too busy and then the pandemic happened and i was thinking oh the world's ending what does that remind me of Save, no dinosaurs. <laughs> so, so we sort of started it as a bit of lockdown project, and it's taken off and it's been quite, you know, it's been all right because he knows his stuff, doesn't he? That's the thing. So, that's how it happened. And we didn't actually meet up until about what, three months after starting it. Except
0: for all those times. <laughs> so, we've been before.
2: doing it via the internet the entire time. Nice. And that's so, when yeah. he
1: quizzed you?
3: No, no, that was a year, that was nearly a year later. Yeah. Yeah, that mm. was bad that was bad
2: <laughs> he asked me what two groups the dinosaurs are split into and I was just like well it's the or- ornithischians and the other ones <laughs> which include the theropods and the sauropods don't know what they're called <laughs>
0: I mean that's a good answer because there's the whole ornithischia thing, and if you stick oh, to God, theropods and oh, sauropods, let's,
3: let's, let's not go down. You that say <laughs>
2: ornithischia too much, I too say much. Or we can do
3: phytodinosauria as well if you want.
2: And <laughs> yeah, I do think I do think the sauropods should be in the group with the ornithischians because that just makes me happy on a herbivorous. Well, that,
3: that that is phytodinosauria, so that is the other 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 possibilities that all Which the herbivores go true. together and then the theropods are in a separate group. <laughs> I
2: think that's true because it makes me happier
0: that's why she struggled <laughs> with the sense. question because she knew what you wanted to hear but then <laughs> oh, yeah. she had the truth
3: <laughs> let, let, let's not start on dinosaur people who think they have the truth
2: <laughs> <There's>... <laughs>
3: yeah I've met some of them
0: <laughs> yeah they're, they're around yep.
2: yeah. so that's how, that's how terrible lizards got started uh, drunk parties and a pandemic
0: nice, nice.
1: And now you've, you've recently wrapped up the fourth season already.
2: Yep. Yes. And we started recording the fifth. Yes, of which you will be a major part. Our <laughs> highlight <laughs> is I Know Dino. <laughs> that is the only good bit of it so far. So <laughs> <we should laughs> definitely tune in for that episode. Is, is that it because be it's the end. only
0: bit of it so far?
2: <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. We've recorded other bits. We've recorded other bits. Yes. I won't say
3: which bits. And, and another one. Well, and we should have had another one this week, but they cancelled. So mm-hmm.
0: yeah. we would never <laughs> cancel bit. on you
3: exactly you're
2: lovely people
3: (laughs) yeah so so yeah we we record we record the guests first and then try we have an idea of what kind of episodes we want to do but then try and make sure that they vaguely tie together oh
0: tying together
3: sometimes it doesn't work at all and obviously what regularly happens because we usually have non-dinosaur experts on they all ask the same question you know, we, we, we got. Why to the are
1: they so big?
3: Yeah, we, we've had. Why are they so big and what's your favorite? More times. Than <laughs> they,
1: are uh, they dragons?
2: We've had good ones because you've covered, you know, what's the best dinosaur to ride? We've covered that too. That is the ultimate dinosaur question. <laughs> good one, yeah. Dave blew Alistair Beckett King's mind because he pointed out that people do ride ostriches. Mm-hmm. Therefore, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, it happens. So, yeah. you
0: know. All roads lead to talking about dinosaurs being ridden. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, obviously, this is. Ultimately, what we all dream of, isn't it? Yeah,
0: or eating them. Particularly Dave. <laughs> well,
2: I've,
3: I've yeah. already got. I've already had chicken, though, so that kind of <laughs> slightly. Yeah, got done exactly.
2: It. Yeah, I, I did. I did do a thing. I did a live over Christmas where I dissected a turkey to point out which bits of it were the most dinosaur parts. Mm. So, uh, which I tried to do as a live because Dave was very ill because managed to c- catch COVID like like a human. Oh no! And so <laughs> I was busy actually having COVID but not knowing it yet, uh, cutting up a dinosaur in front of um, a live camera and then roasting it so that I could pull it apart and show the bones, but doing this whilst on the computer and getting turkey grease everywhere, <laughs> over every single... So I was doing it multiple cameras and that's sort the of thing, to really show bits, and oh my God, it was... Mm. It was a bit of a disaster, but I did get—I did show the quill knobs, so I was you, very excited. And you
3: got a turkey out of it, yeah. I
2: did get a turkey. So, out mission of it. accomplished. And yeah. technically, we did charge the patrons for that. So, <laughs> 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 did eat a whole turkey. Yes, a few days before Christmas. Mm.
1: <laughs> That's what you're supposed to do.
2: That is. That is uh, technically eating dinosaurs over Christmas is what all good Christian children do. <laughs> this is. Very important.
0: <laughs> I can't dissect or, I, I mean, prepare a turkey without thinking about dinosaurs anymore either. Yeah. It's
2: mm-hmm. just Well, you see, I went to the butchers and I got one with the head still on and the feet still on and all the guts inside because they didn't understand. I didn't particularly want the guts inside. I just went, So I had to do the whole sort of, mm. you know, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was smelly. That was quite, they're quite smelly things. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: yeah. Do you mean all the all guts? Yeah.
0: All the guts. Wow. I
2: mean, yeah, all the guts. Yeah, it came. It basically yeah. said they plucked it. No. Yeah. If you are <laughs> oh, like
3: a whole turkey, you get a whole turkey.
0: <laughs> I don't know if we have that. Uh, Could you get a?
2: They're really I think... good, though. I mean, that they are pretty much packaged to be eaten really easily because literally you just put your hand in and you scoop all the way around. You scoop all the way around and you pull and it all comes out. <laughs> there's and there's nothing left in there. You're just like, who made this? This is really <laughs> not. This is quite easy. This is. I was expecting it to be a bit more okay, cut this open, then remove this bit and no, it's not
0: That's the real benefit of a cloaca. It's like the one yeah. mm. it makes disemboweling so simple. <laughs> exactly. I'm
3: not I'm not sure that's why it
0: evolved.
1: <laughs> Just a happy accident.
2: Yeah. Well fortunately it didn't have a happy accident. I managed to get it all out and <laughs> in <Yeah>. the bin. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't stink it, out my kitchen too much. It, it,
3: is, it is a selective disadvantage, isn't it? E- easy to eat is not something which is generally <laughs> oh, no. beneficial.
2: No, no, it's not. It's an incredibly good advantage if you want to pass your jeans on, if you are well, really yeah, easily edible. There's a, there's edible. a, there's a <laughs> lot
3: of them, yeah. There's probably more turkeys now than there used to be.
2: Oh, yes. Mm. Um, everywhere. But, yes, so, so that was... That was a, well, I don't remember what the question, I don't do you think, well, I was asked a question I was told <laughs> no. you that, so
0: uh, no. That was the answer. Well,
1: was, but it, yeah, yeah, it sounds like you, you did what, what you set out to do, and it sounds like it was an experience. Also, I'm glad you're both well and recovered from COVID.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, Dave's still, is lingering, isn't it? He's lingering. Yeah. Oh, no. It's, yeah, yeah. I, I got over it because I'm really strong and basically genetically amazing. And Dave is <laughs> plague victim. Apart from... What do you mean apart from? I'm amazing. Uh, <laughs> apart from all the things wrong with me.
0: So I want to ask, you said that you're sculpting episodes around you know specific topics or you have topics in mind. Do you have any topics in mind for season five?
2: Stegosaurus, yeah, definitely that Stegosaurus. That was- <laughs> I want Stegosaurus. <laughs> Dave doesn't want to do Stegosaurus. I want to do Stegosaurus. We just,
3: we just keep getting asked to do a Stegosaurus episode, and and I, the more people ask, the more resistant I am to doing it. <laughs> it's my podcast, and you will listen to my do. <laughs> and
1: and, and what do you want to cover? Right. Yeah. Um,
0: Another you know, season but, of T Rex. That's what we're yeah, doing.
3: Well, <laughs> well, when when we when we started, you know, I I drew up a a big list of like 60 or 70 things that I thought were interesting and worth talking about.
0: And Stegosaurus Um, was not on the list.
2: It it was, it was on that list. Um, (laughs) No, it wasn't. (laughs) Yes, it is. I think, I think you put like Ankylosaurs and then underneath in brackets and like font six, maybe Stegosaurus.
3: (laughs) (laughs) This is a lie. Um, But yeah, so we have ideas, but you know, stuff, you know, happens and and changes. Was, oh, someone talked about this. Oh, that's really good because we could link that to this. Or oh, well, we ended up talking about that in the last series, and we got lots of comments. So let's do some more of it.
1: Izzy, um, and I, I'm asking you because Dave, you're you're you've been an expert for years. But uh, for Garrett and I, we've noticed a change in ourselves in the last six years after like, reading all these papers and getting real deep into dinosaurs and time, the concept of time. Seems to have changed for us. <laughs> how about how about you?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, because I used to think 800,000 years ago is a really long time ago. so I, I do the British Museum member cast. So I'm interviewing, you know, archaeologists and looking at the early origins of man and um, you know, all of all of you know man's closest relations and everything like that. So so they really focus on that. And you think, God, the Assyrians, they were doing all of this like 5,000 years BC and you're just like no this, this is you know yeah. this is really quite ridiculously recent yeah. what on earth was man doing for like 250,000 years I mean really we we're just hanging around having a nice time <laughs> what this what where's all the you know where's all the agriculture what's going on so all of all that sort of thing would you know maybe boggle my mind and then you go back so far into the past to where you know chickens are new. This is <laughs> you know what? <laughs> you know, and and just the concept of time is just ridiculous.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing we have as well is is the gaps. You know, the the archaeologists are you know furiously arguing as if there was is this was six thousand and fifty eight years ago or or six thousand and fifty nine years ago, and I'm like, oh, this lives. 40 million years. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, ten to twenty million years, give or take, is largely irrelevant because, I mean, obviously it's not. But our dating is just not that accurate. And yeah, again, I have not memorized the date of every known dinosaur fossil on top of my head. So. Yeah,
2: and you might have got like a really late one, one of the last. (laughs) Yeah, and and you know, and and that's the other
3: thing as well. You know, when yeah, when you're talking in these general terms, you know, it it it's always what we have found. You know, the most recent stegosaur that we have is fairly early Cretaceous, but they clearly, you know, for a long time we thought they died out at the end of the Jurassic, and then we started finding a few in the Cretaceous. So they clearly, you know, skipped over the boundary, and there's a few of them knocking around. They could have been going for Another 50 million years, we just haven't found them yet. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at, if you think of something like the platypus, uh, you know, or (laughs) aardvarks, you know, they are basically the last member of a very long lineage. And yet there's no saying that they're not going to go extinct for tens or another hundred million years from now, except they're both isolated in very narrow places uh, platypus particularly uh, is not in, in Australia. A great place. It's
2: just the end of well, that. no, yeah. I was gonna, I was it's, like, well,
3: it's not. It's not a good place for forming fossils, whereas Burrow, um, which is good for being buried. That is um, good. but yeah, but you know, if a platypus, it's surviving in one place on Earth. So if you
2: don't have fossils, Sydney Zoo, that's right. From that Sydney point,
3: <laughs> you're simply not going to find them. And so yeah, you know, all of our dates have fairly big, open-ended. Things either side of them because we don't really know in in a general sense yes stegosaurs were not cruising around in huge numbers in the cretaceous they were obviously vastly diminished they were a very small part of their ecosystems it's not that they're not unimportant but they're not the thing to focus on
0: (laughs) we know stegosaurs are not the things to focus (laughs) on (laughs) we're definitely doing stegosaurus
3: but yeah they could have been around for another 50 million years longer than we think they are um But equally, we'll probably never know because you can only know that by finding that one animal or that one little group which survived in that one pocket of Earth, and we found a fossil for that exact point and time and found the stegosaur in it and recognised it as a stegosaur. Mm -hmm. So it's, yeah, it's just out the window unlikely.
2: It's just this potluck thing of what you dig up, really. I mean, there's like archaeology finds from, you know, 4th century In Britain... And it's like, how did these coins all get here? We've got Viking coins, we've got Syrian coins, we've got Egyptian coins, we've got somebody's coin collection, the Roman's (laughs) coin collection, just dumped there. I often wonder if the archaeologists of the future, we've got a seed bank in England, which has (laughs) every single seed on the planet at the moment in a thing. And if somebody just randomly did a bore in like, (laughs) they're going to think, well, it was the Arctic and the jungle and it was agriculture. What? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to really mess with people. So really, I think before, you know, If you're feeling on your last legs, just eat a load of plastic just to really mess, like (laughs) Lego bits, um, you know, tokens, maybe a hard drive, something like that. And then just find a riverbed and die in that and then let yourself be buried. And hopefully you'll give um, a paleontologist a nightmare in the future.
3: And some uranium to throw all the dating off as well.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although I think all the nuclear testing has thrown the date the uranium dating off anyway. Yeah, I it think. has. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're all right. Yeah, yeah. No, we can't use it in the future. Because, you know, you know, fun explosions. But I think they're worth it, fun explosions.
1: <laughs>
2: awesome. So
1: on that note. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Me yeah, going, yeah.
2: I'm pro-nuclear weapons Honestly. <laughs>
3: No, dude you're, you're do explosions. Which <laughs> I is like different
2: explosions.
3: Yeah. yeah, you you yeah, you can you can like a bomb going off because it's cool without it necessarily bombing
2: people. I know, but it does they do tend to go off in the ocean and kill everything, so you that's know. not good. Yeah.
3: You know, I like I like movies with car crashes in. It doesn't mean that my plan for the weekend is
1: <laughs> to get in a car. He <laughs> <laughs> says that true. now? Your yeah. honour. Mm. <laughs> So for our listeners, where's the best place to go learn about, well, obviously Terrible Lizards podcast and uh, both of you are also involved in many other projects if they want to learn more about those.
2: So terriblelizards.co.uk is where you can find our podcast and all the links for that. Patreon.com forward slash Terrible Lizards if you want all the bonus stuff about marine reptiles and that sort of thing. You can find Dave Hone at...
3: DaveHone.co.uk.
2: Amazing. I am Izzy.com. That is I-S-Z-I.com. I do a lot of other podcasts like the British Museum member cast, like uh, the z Deadlist, Dead List, like Seti Soppo, like uh, thousands. Anyway, so <laughs> if you like podcasts, I'm your lady. Um, I also write kids' books. I've got Billy Swift Takes Flight, which is coming out in September in the UK. It's about the women who flew Spitfires in the Second World War. And I've also got um, uh, The Unstoppable Letty Peg, which is about suffragettes who do jiu-jitsu. Uh, wow. All for sort of like Harry Potter age, that sort of thing. They're both Bloomsbury books, but you can find them at izzy.com. And Dave has a book. yeah, so, uh, or, yeah, yeah so on, Dave, you're I'm rubbish. Like, well, no,
3: no, no, I am. <laughs> I'm British. Really, you don't promote yourself. You That's do
2: promote yourself, Dave. <laughs> They're Americans. Um, they expect it. It's polite. <laughs> no, no, I know. I uh, know. So
3: the Tyrannosaur Chronicles, which uh, was actually entirely coincidentally also by Bloomsbury, which is still available. Um, and give or take at this point. So we'll say fingers crossed by the time this goes out. My next book called The Future of Dinosaurs will be at least listed on websites. It's probably not coming out till April next year, but it's nearly coming.
0: It's not about dinosaur morphs or dinosauroids, is it?
3: No, it's... um, (laughs) Because... (laughs) <laughs> to be blunt, I wasn't very happy with the title. The publisher's made me have it because I think it doesn't describe what the book is about. It's it's a sort of dinosaur futurism in terms of looking forward at research and what research I think is going to come and actually what research probably isn't going to come. Oh, nice. As cool. in th- th- things that are probably unknowable or, or or where we're missing enormous gaps in our data and why that might be interesting. So the example I always give is Color, you know, we've just started to look at the color of dinosaurs. But so far, we've basically done one of a species, which for a small feathered dinosaur that lived in a cold environment, is this a male or female? Is this adult or juvenile? Is this summer or winter plumage? Is this breeding plumage? Did they change over time? Did they change in different environments? Have we got a weird one off who is unusually black or unusually white? Because we know that's a phenomenon of color. And so one specimen, whilst unbelievably incredible that we can do that, Basically tells you nothing. But we have other specimens, and therefore it's probably only a matter of time until we sit down and analyse these others. And all those questions start to be answered, and that will tell us a hell of a lot more about their biology than one ever will. And I think that's, you know, borderline inevitability. But it hasn't happened, and it probably won't happen for a good few years yet. And I want to talk about all the things that that could tell us once we start doing it. Cool. So stuff like that.
2: When's that out, then? April. Hey, there you go. Twenty twenty two. Also, if you have got Netflix, Lost Pirate Kingdom, I'm I'm on that. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> and no, no dinosaurs. The, don't think there's even parrots in that, which is very disappointing considering my dinosaur facts about parrots. I mean,
3: yeah, that's a oh. that's a proper you know ah. pirate show without parrots. I mean, they don't explain proper. them.
0: <laughs> very awesome. Well, thank you both so much for coming on, and we'll see you on the other side
2: see you there
0: thank you again a big thank you to dave and izzy for joining us this week yeah it was a lot of fun we're also a guest on their podcast which came out last week so definitely check out terrible lizards if you haven't already and you can go to TerribleLizards.co.uk, and we also have that link in our show notes
1: and now on to our dinosaur of the day Colopiocephaly, which was a request from Shifty Sol via our Patreon and Discord, so thanks. Colopiocephaly was a pachycephalosaurid that lived in the late Cretaceous in what is now Alberta, Canada. It was found in the Foremost Formation, as well as in Montana in the U.S. It was found in the Judas River Formation. It was an herbivore, and it may have been prey for Thanatotheristes digrutorum. That's the reaper of death, and we talked about that dinosaur in episode 273.
0: Oh, was that long ago? I feel mm-hmm. like we were just talking about that a couple of weeks ago. It's like <laughs> 2 years ago.
1: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so the type species is Colapiocephaly lamai. The genus name means knucklehead and eyes in honor of Lawrence Lamb. The holotype includes part of the dome of the skull and it was originally described by Sternberg in 1945 as Stegosaurus lamai. But then it was renamed in 2003 by Robert Sullivan To colopiocephaly. Sullivan did a phylogenetic analysis with 49 characters of multiple pachycephalosaurs and found colopiocephaly to be a new genus. It was unique enough in the posterior squamosal region, the bumps at the back of the head, to make it its own genus.
0: Okay. So if you picture a typical pachycephalosaurid like Pachycephalosaurus and you add different bumps on the back of its head, then you get colopiocephaly, basically.
1: Yeah, I think it's less spiky. The head looks a little bit different, too. Well, they do have the dome head, because pachycephalosaurs.
0: The full dome? Not like a little tiny dome? I think so, based on pictures. Sounds like one that someone might want to lump, potentially, in the future, depending on if we find out there's individual variation on those bumps or something.
1: I mean, there's been a lot of hypotheses about this dinosaur. The first one was, it was synonymous with Stegosaurus validum. Another one was it, it was its own species within stegoceras or another one, it was more derived than stegoceras So <laughs> there's been some debate. Now, at the time that Sullivan did his analysis, Colopiocephaly was the oldest diagnostic pachycephalosaur from North America. There was an older skull from the Milk River formation, but it was too incomplete and indeterminate to name the type of pachycephalosaur. In 2009, Ryan Schott and others analyzed colopiocephaly, including the holotype, and a referred part of a dome found in the Judith River formation of Montana. And they reaffirmed that colopiocephaly was its own genus based on several atapomorphies and being in a different stratigraphy from Stegoceras validum. You know, They lived at different times.
0: That does help.
1: It does, but sometimes there's debate on how much of a role stratigraphy plays in determining different genera
0: yeah yeah because some species last for a long time
1: but for now i think it's safe to say it's valid
0: cool so i guess the, the analogy is that it's really similar to Stegosaurus with different bumps on the back of its head not pachycephalosaurus but Stegosaurus, to me at least is quite a bit in common with pachycephalosaurus I don't think anybody's trying to synonymize those, though.
1: No, but Pachycephalosaurs in general. I mean, well, it's the it's the name of the fam. So we think Pachycephalosaurus, mm-hmm. and we all know about the dome heads. So that's the main thing I think most of us think about.
0: Yeah, it's not like Draco Rex, which might be synonymized as like a juvenile form, but it do- doesn't have that little tiny bump with huge spikes or anything. Mm-hmm. It's the more typical looking Pachycephalosaurid. And uh, our fun fact of the day is an update on our dinosaur museum map. My goal is to make it like the Paleo Bio Database. except for <laughs> museums. all museums.
1: <laughs> it's a good goal, but it's hard to know.
0: It is hard to know, but it's also very hard to know like where all the dinosaurs were discovered. True. It's a lot easier than Paleo Bio Database for sure. So our museum map has 47 countries included with at least one museum and 45 of the 50 U.S. states have dinosaur museums. It's a good start. According to our map, at least. The U.S. is the country best represented by far.
1: That makes sense. We live here.
0: We do. And I think in the early days when it was like us planning road trips was my main Mm -hmm. reason for it. It was pretty much all museums in the U.S. And Canada. True. So the U.S. has 141 museums in it, which is almost half of the 348 total on our map. But again, that percentage has been shrinking, so it's just going to continue to be less and less of a fraction of the map as long as I'm doing my job right. And we've finally added enough museums to make China the second place with 25 museums on our map. Wow. But there are definitely way more Chinese museums to add. It's just really difficult to get addresses or GPS coordinates that our map can figure out. Because there's this whole scrambling of GPS coordinates. And it's hard to get satellite imagery that shows you where museums are and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of them don't have websites. So we've made some good progress with the help of some listeners. But I know there's still a long ways to go with the Chinese museums. And then Canada is third on our map with 21 dinosaur museums. Punching way above their weight population-wise. Well, there's
1: so many dinosaurs in Canada.
0: Yeah. I think like museums per capita, though, Canada's doing really well. (laughs) Other countries with 10 plus museums on our map are Australia with 18, also relatively low population with a ton of dinosaur museums. Japan and the UK both have 16, which is interesting. They both have a good number of different dinosaur fauna like around the countries. Germany has 11 and France has 10. And you can actually find dinosaurs in all those countries. So that's a good starting place. Mm -hmm. Then in the U.S., tied for the most are Montana and Texas with 13 each. Makes sense. They're both huge states with a lot of fossils in them. Mm -hmm. Then Utah has 11. Colorado has seven. And then it gets weird because all of those places, Utah, Colorado, Montana, Texas, lots of dinosaurs to find. Right, But in fourth... You get California and Florida, neither of these places have very many dinosaur fossils.
1: Right. Although we do have a state dinosaur.
0: That's true. And we both have a high population, I think, is really what's doing it. With We have six museums in each, from my count.
1: We've probably been to all six in California.
0: Yes, definitely. And then the last states that have at least five museums are New York and Wisconsin, which are even weirder because I don't think there are any dinosaurs really. I guess there are a couple in New York. Yeah. But I don't. And near
1: New York, and also near Wisconsin.
0: I don't really think so.
1: Oh, they usually go excavating in the Badlands.
0: Yeah, Hmm. there are some good museums, though. You got Thomas Carr working in Wisconsin, bringing back lots of stuff. Mm -hmm. Other museums and things, but yeah. So those are the best countries or states to be in if you're looking for a lot of dinosaur museums. But we are still missing five states. In the U.S., we're missing Rhode Island, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, and Kentucky. And I'm not including the Creationist Museum in Kentucky. If you know of a dinosaur museum in one of those states, or it isn't on our map, period, please do let us know. And we're following roughly the definition of a museum from the International Council of Museums. I realize it'd be useful to have an actual definition of like what are the museums on our map. So they define a museum as a quote nonprofit permanent institution in the service of society and its development, open to the public, which acquires, conserves, researches, communicates, and exhibits dinosaurs. In our case, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) for the purposes of education, study, and enjoyment. End quote. Which is a lot of requirements. We sometimes make exceptions for the research side, since not every public dinosaur collection can afford to pay researchers. And we also allow for replicas. I think they're fine, too, as long as they're part of a museum, because, you know, you can't always put all the real fossils on display. Mm -hmm. The idea is basically that it's a place you can go to to physically see and learn about dinosaur fossils.
1: And they have them permanently because some museums only have traveling exhibits, which is fun to see. But then you can only see at a certain amount of time.
0: Yeah, exactly. And a couple other things that don't count is the surprising number of buildings that just have a completely out of context dinosaur replica in their atrium <laughs> there's so many buildings where they just like buy a big t-rex replica and like stick it in there like i think a bunch of tech campuses have that they just have like a random dinosaur mm-hmm. it doesn't count as a museum or if there are dinosaur sculptures outside it's not really a museum thing it's nice but not really a, you're not going to learn much from looking at a sculpture and as a quick aside most museums have reopened But a lot of them had a really hard last year or two. So if you're comfortable going out and you're looking for something to do, check out our map on inodino.com to see where your closest dinosaur museum is and maybe consider going. Keep their lights on and their preserving dinosaur fossils going.
1: And enjoy the dinosaur displays.
0: Yeah, I wish we could make it to some new dinosaur museums. It's been like two years. I'm itching.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll go again. Don't worry. And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening. And if you want to join our community of dinosaur enthusiasts, again, you can chat with them on our Discord, get access to extended interviews, lots of other perks, then go to our page at patreon.com slash I Know Dino. Thanks again, and until next time. Good
3: day.